0: Welcome to Industry Focus,
1: the podcast
0: that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day.
1: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
0: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today, we're talking financials.
1: Today, we're talking consumer goods.
0: Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today, we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, January 18th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And markets are closed today for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. But we've still got plenty to talk about here on Industry Focus. So on this week's financial show, we're going to take a look at the big banks' earnings that just kicked off earnings season on Friday. Walmart is getting into fintech. Visa and Platt are going their separate ways after all. We'll wrap up the show with one to watch for you. Joining me this week, it's my man, certified financial planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Pretty good. We get a rare
1: uh, break in the middle of earnings season. We could, you know, take a step back and really digest the information. Now,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we. That's. I like that. You get a little time to kind of digest, and then. I tell you, this week it really starts kicking off. And then next week, man, I mean, we're talking about a lot of companies that are going to be reporting here over the next few weeks. And I, listen, we always enjoy earnings season. Uh, plenty to dig into with all sorts of different businesses. But we are going to focus on three of the biggest banks in the market today. On Friday, we had three earnings reports from JP Morgan, Citibank, uh, Wells Fargo. And it it felt like some were better than others, Matt. <laughs> but we're gonna go ahead and start with JP. Morgan. You know, I, I think one of the things that we've been focused on here uh, over the past several months has been in regard to the reserves that these banks have been putting aside and, sort of the perspective there on where where they stood in building those reserves versus starting to release some of those reserves and it feels like maybe we we saw the beginning of of, uh, of, of some of those some of those reserves being released this quarter but let's start with JP Morgan and talk about what stood out to you uh, for the quarter and, and also how, how things may be shaping up here for 2021
1: you know we knew the numbers the actual business numbers from all these banks weren't going to be great this quarter. Um, interest rates are at record lows banks make money on interest so we knew that wasn't going to be great so for the sake of saving time all three of these had terrible interest margins <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> the, the end all right we're done um but no um in all seriousness uh JP Morgan was by, was the best of the three that reported on Friday so they reported a beat on both revenue and earnings they you know really surprised them the market uh big reason for the earnings beat was because they announced a $2.9 billion reserve release. Um, they still have about $30 billion in reserves to cover loan losses and things like that. Um, and Jamie Dimon basically said that he feels comfortable enough. He gave the examples of this the vaccine being available and uh, all the stimulus that is and is expected to be injected into the market as the reasons why he's um, comfortable doing that that was by far as we'll go through the biggest reserve release of the 3 um and all in all the the earnings actually look pretty pretty good. uh JP Morgan got the number one share in investment banking fees for the quarter. um they generated a 54% efficiency ratio for the full year, which is pretty good. um that that would have been really good, you know, in the post-crisis years that would have seemed unbelievable. um they their loan portfolio barely budged, but given the pandemic, that's not too surprising. Uh, deposits are up thirty-five percent year over year. Americans have have become super savers during the pandemic,
0: as we've mentioned a couple times. <laughs> well, that's something I noticed. It was a trend across all three. Yeah. The deposits really wore up. I mean, it, not surprising, of course, but 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 that was a clear that was a clear trend across all three reports. It's-
1: well, yeah, and another way to put that is that now banks have a lot of money to lend. You know, you've seen their deposit port in JP Morgan's case, the deposit base up by 35%. The loan base only went up by 1%. So there's a lot of like idle capital sitting on the sides ready to lend. So if we do see a big economic rebound in 2021, these banks have a lot of money to put to work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, I mean, one thing that did stand out to me too with uh, in in regard to JP Morgan's. earnings i mean book value they grew book value by eight percent for the quarter which i i mean listen it's it, it's a bit of a tricky time for a lot of a lot of businesses but to see i i felt like that was that was pretty robust growth all things considered well it's
1: it's even better than it seems and i'll tell you why the, the banks have not been allowed to do buybacks much in 2020. usually Banks book value is kind of a function of how many shares they're going to buy back plus their earnings you know kind of building up Banks have point. not yeah. been able to buy back shares. So that whole part of their 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 book that is not adding to book value. Normally, you know, if a bank's book value increases by, you know, twelve percent in a year, usually eight or nine percent of that was buyback driven. So you're it's JP Morgan managed to increase its book value by eight percent without buybacks
0: essentially in twenty twenty, which is really impressive. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean I I feel like you can attribute just so much of the success of JP Morgan I mean, it really to me, it just all seems like it comes back to Jamie Diamond. I mean, I, I was reading through that earnings report. Uh, they have that section in the report called Fortress Principles, which I, I think is just it's so cool to see that because it gives you an idea of what I mean, that's what their mindset is is building a balance sheet in a company that is able to withstand crisis, regardless. When, where, how large? I mean, that's kind of the focus there with Jamie, uh, Diamond there, and and I think that even I don't know if you read that Wall Street Journal uh, article a uh, few weeks back, and it it was an article about Jamie Diamond. Um, remember, he he had that he had a heart. I guess it was heart attack. Um, and you know he had gone to the hospital they were talking about kind of managing the way through the, the managing their way through the pandemic and um, it, it was just interesting to see like they've prepared this business for almost everything if not everything in anything. and anything and there was even that one snippet from the article, where he, he was on his way to the hospital he had called um, you know his associates at the bank to let them know what was going on and to go ahead and they knew what to do and then they then uh, said okay yep we're going we're going to kick the plan into Jamie just got hit by a bus right this is the Jamie got hit by a bus situation preparing the company for the potential at least of him not being back in that leadership role either for a long time or Ever, and and to me, I don't know. That just I mean, listen, we're all glad he's back, but it just it speaks to me in that's his mentality, that's his mindset, that's their mindset. There is to essentially be prepared for anything, and I feel like their results just show that quarter in and quarter out.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely agree, and I mean, I I JP, Jamie Jamie Diamond. I don't want to call him an underrated um you know guy to listen to in in the stock market, but I think he's I I put him right up there with Buffett in terms of what he when he talks about the economy and. You know when he, I it, as much as the reserve release that we talked about is important. I think his comments on it are equally important. That he feels that 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 we're going to be okay out of this. And I mean, his comments carry a lot of weight because he's he's usually right. <laughs> so I mean, he's he's not only like he's probably the most visible bank CEO and and for good reason.
0: And the other leader that stands out to me, and we'll we'll hear more from this bank. Uh, this coming week is Brian Moynihan with Bank of America, and he's been with Bank of America now, I think, since 2010 as the CEO. He, to me, is, is the other leader in this space that's really building that same, to me at least, that same type of reputation, that same type of trust, that same type of mentality of really building a bank that is prepared for anything and everything. So, it'd be interesting to see their results when they come out. Um, let's pivot over to city. Uh, city released earnings as well. Um, again, I, I think the story there partly at least was reserves the release of reserves there but but what were your impressions of city's most recent quarter?
1: Uh, city's quarter was good but not great. Um, they reserve they released some reserves uh, 1.5 billion so they are also feeling pretty confident about where they're at right now. Um, they beat on the earnings side of things a lot of the that reserve release had a lot to do with that. Um, but revenue dropped 10% year-over-year, year, didn't quite meet expectations. so It was kind of a mixed bag. Uh, their loan portfolio on the consumer side was up by 4%, which is actually pretty nice growth given the current environment. I mentioned JP uh, Morgan's was up 1%, uh, but their deposit base was up 20%. Remember, I mentioned uh, JP Morgan's was up 35 so, you know, I mean, I don't want to call a 20% deposit growth bad, <laughs> but- just, Relatively
0: speaking, it was just not as good.
1: Relatively <laughs> speaking. And one thing that really stood out to me, um, I was looking at their credit card spend numbers, um, not necessarily for Citigroup purposes, but just overall economic purposes. Um, their, their credit card spending volume in their uh, their credit card business was up 12% from from the third quarter which kind of shows to me that consumers are ready to get out and spend a little bit more, and we could start to see um, the overall economic activity picking up. Uh, Investment banking was strong, trading revenue was up 13%. That's been a pretty strong point during the pandemic. Uh, Trading does well when the market's volatile, which has certainly been the case and was certainly the case in 2020. Um, But I'd call it a good quarter, not a great quarter,
0: but definitely a good one. Well, let's move to the quarter that was probably the least impressive of the three. But uh, listen, I'm, I'm going to cut Wells a little bit of slack here while we're at it. I mean, I I, I don't know that going into this report, I had all uh, that great expectations anyways. Um, but I mean, I, I there were some good, there were some bad. It, it, Wells Fargo clearly has some work left to be done though, right?
1: Yeah, and I mean, and and they they acknowledge that uh, you'll you remember I called Wells Fargo my favorite bank stock to watch a couple weeks ago on uh, on our show. Absolutely, um, that wasn't because I thought their fourth quarter was going to be great. <laughs> um, the, you know, just to kind of run through a couple of the things that disappointed um, investors, they not only missed revenue, but they missed it because of interest income. So e- we already knew that interest was going to be bad, like I said, but it was even worse than expected, which is kind of dragging the, the stock down. They booked a a $781 million restructuring charge, because they're shifting their business around a little bit. Um, They released $757 million in reserves, but unlike the other two banks, it wasn't because they feel like they have enough to cover their losses. It's because they got rid of their student loan business and don't have to keep reserves for that in the bank anymore. So They released reserves, but it was for a, a less positive reason. Um Charlie Scharf, he commented on it. He said, we know the, he essentially said we know these results are bad. He said're we're, we're we're going through a lot of uh, changes right now, getting through the he called the the legacy issues, I believe was the term he used. He said, unwinding all that costs money, and it's really weighing on our results. but he said this bank's capable of more, and I think you're going to see that. So like I said I'm, I'm the, the stock was down pretty big this morning on the on the results. But I'm not that worried. I, I view it as a buying opportunity because I still like them uh, as as a great bank stock for 2021.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, I I, I certainly understand the short term concerns there, but it you can't you can't just turn turn things around at, at the drop of a hat. I mean, it's going to be something that takes a little time. It really feels like to me the. They 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 took the board took the first most important step really in bringing Charlie Sharf on there. I think bringing a leader in there who was not an insider before is going to give them a fresh perspective. I think it's going to give them credibility. That the changes he's making will actually stick. It's just going to take some time for that to play out. And um, my my bet is that that we will see things start to improve um, as the year progresses. Uh, well yeah I mean hey listen it's a good start to good start to earnings season there. I don't think there were a lot of surprises in those bank results to be honest with you Nice to see those uh reserves being released. Um, i think i think that's that's a positive uh i think uh we'll have to obviously wait and see how things uh shake out here as as we round this corner of the pandemic and vaccines uh continue to to uh be distributed but um let's say we're cautiously optimistic maybe and it'd be interesting to see what bank of america has to say uh this coming week here uh matt let's pivot over to what is traditionally not a Bank or a financial company, really. Although they've they've a reputation for offering their customers financial services, uh, but Walmart recently announced that they are going to launch a fintech startup with Ribbit Capital, which is one of the investment firms behind Robinhood. Um, I you know I given the number of customers that come through Walmart's doors every day, Matt, I actually think this probably does make some sense. Yeah, it's definitely got some potential. Um I mean, it sounds a lot like what what
1: Green Dot's been doing for the past uh, few years. You know, uh, Walmart's Green Dot's biggest customer.
0: Yeah. So they, yeah. they might
1: they might be worried about this. <laughs> um, I, th- I think I, I remember reading Walmart makes up about thirty five percent of Green Dot's business. They do the, the Walmart uh, their their banking products are essentially all made by Green Dot right now. But they, you know, their their plan is to essentially leverage Walmart's scale and you know just the, the volume of its retail operation. Along with Ribbit's fintech knowledge, to create a company, we don't know what the company is exactly going to do yet. They said they're going to do some specifically tailored financial um, experiences for Walmart shoppers, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> and uh, they specifically also said that they may grow through partnerships and acquisitions, um, which I found to be the the most interesting part of that press release. But we don't know a lot yet. This is this reminds me a lot of when um when Berkshire Hathaway and J P Morgan and and um and Amazon announced their healthcare company. Right. You know, no one really yeah. knew what it was going to do. I still don't know what that company did. They already shut it down.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess we won't, we won't know for a while the lessons that they, they may or may not have gleaned from that experience. So I, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I want to hear more. It's essentially
1: how I would, how I would best sum that up. Cause we don't know a lot yet. It sounds like an interesting, interesting possibility, but. I want to see how that how they're going to do something different than what's already being
0: done is, I guess, my biggest question. Yeah, I think that's that's really the question. What are, what are you going to do different? I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and and then of course, uh, keeping an eye on how this does play out on Green Dot. I mean, I, it would be a, a knee jerk reaction, I would think, to assume that this is something that would just immediately impact Green Dot's business because that then just assumes that this fintech is a success from the get go, and and obviously. That's yet to be determined, so uh yeah, plenty to learn there in regard to that partnership and um yeah we'll, we'll we'll enjoy keeping an eye on that speaking of partnerships and acquisitions uh Matt, there is a there is an acquisition that is not going to happen after all, and it's it's been about a year since this deal was announced. We talked about it on this show. You could certainly see the merits of the deal and why the two companies um would be getting together, but alas. <laughs> While Visa and Plaid would have you believe that this was a uh, mutual, <laughs> mutual decision, it really feels like that mutual decision was spurred on by um, the actions of regulators um, to, to basically really make it difficult for this deal to happen in the first place. Visa and Plaid will not be joining that acquisition; is now off. Yeah, well,
1: they had announced this last January. And then all of a sudden in November, uh, the Department of Justice uh, sued uh, the, to stop the deal, saying that it would be kind of an anti-competitive situation, things like that. Uh, Visa disagreed. They said that they could have gotten this deal through, but it just became really too too much more trouble than it's worth at this point. Um, so they called the deal off. If you're not familiar with Plaid, the best way I've been able to describe it is that it lets consumers connect their bank accounts to finance apps. They're the technology behind Venmo, for example. When you, when you send a payment through Venmo and it comes from your bank account, that's the technology that moves that allows that to happen. Um, they're also a Robinhood partner. They uh, Coinbase, the big crypto exchange. Um, they're they're the technology that links users' bank accounts to that platform as well. So I can kind of see why the government wouldn't want a company like Visa to have full control over something like that, um, but. The most likely scenario now is that they're going to go public. Um, I think they're a great SPAC candidate, to be honest with you.
0: Well, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because that, you know that was something I thought about as well. Because the first thing that came to mind was that this certainly opens up the opportunity for Plaid to, to maybe go public on its own, and I, I have to believe given given the current environment, they would be interested in doing that because they'd raise a ton of money, I'm sure. And if they if they decided to do it, you're probably looking at a, another stock that triples or quadruples on the on the day of the uh, on the day of the IPO. Um, and I'm only half kidding there. I mean, you've seen what the way some of these companies have been received by the market. Um, I, it, what do you think? So, I'm mean, assuming that Plaid does go public. I mean, I mean, does it does it feel like to you that I mean, it's just Chamath all of a sudden looking at this and saying, "Oh man, let's let's help these guys out and get these guys public in in more of an appropriate way, to where it doesn't uh, you know, leave money on the table, uh, you know, whatever that perspective." I mean, what do you think the chances of them going uh, the Spac route actually are?
1: I know he immediately tweeted about it when the deal broke up. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I know that happened. Um, well, Visa was going to acquire Plaid for five point three billion dollars. Which in fintech company terms in 2021 that's like a quarter. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so if, if they were to go public um, you know through the traditional router and anything close to that valuation I could ob- I can clearly see them triple or quadruple pretty quickly. Um, I think they're a perfect candidate for a SPAC IPO. Um, I, th- I think I think especially if they they could partner with a, a SPAC manager that has a lot of fintech experience or you know relevant experience to bring to the table. Because that was that was the big value of the visa um, arrangement was that Visa could kind of leverage its technology and its network into Plaid's ecosystem. Um, so if they could do that, um, that's another big advantage. It's not just that SPACs avoid the traditional IPO route; it's that SPACs are run by managers who can often bring something to the table. Um, so that's that's another thing that's that's worth uh, noting. There's a lot of SPACs with run by experienced fintech um, managers that could really add a lot of value and and bring a lot to the table so that's also something to watch.
0: Yeah, and you know, I mean, it, at the end of the day it, it really does seem like for Visa, I mean, it, it was interesting to note being I mean, back in November, Mastercard was able to acquire Finicity, which is a startup very similar to Plaid. Um, Now, I think the reason why that was allowed to go through without too much trouble was that MasterCard is smaller. They have a much smaller share in the debit market. And I think the debit market maybe was the concern there And that Plaid could be working on those types of services. Certainly, Plaid is working on helping folks get money from point A to point B more quickly and more cheaply. Um and the and, uh, criticisms of, of Visa and, and, and MasterCard's networks and, and the uh, the fees that they charge. I mean, those are valid. I think that what we're seeing over, over the uh longer haul here is those costs are coming down, and, and that's not really a surprise to anybody. But on the one hand, you look at Visa and you think, okay, well, that toll booth model has worked so well to this point. But, but listen, I mean, it's not an undisruptible business. I mean, it's a big company with a lot of financial resources and plenty of capability, but maybe this is one of those situations where they say, "Hey, you know, this didn't really work out for us. We need to go back to the drawing board here and try to figure out exactly how we're going to attack this market." Because complacency is is by by far and away one of the biggest risks here with a company like Visa, I would say.
1: Yeah, and I mean, uh, Plaid gets them into a part of the payment space that that they are not currently participating in, really. Um, meaning the person-to-person and um, you know business-to-business payment space, Visa's you know they're, they're a huge debit card issuer. They're obviously a big credit card issuer. They generally move money from consumers to merchants. Um, the, the you know Plaid moves money from people to people. Like I mentioned, Venmo is a big Plaid uh, partner. So, and uh, Visa quoted the 185 trillion dollar global payments market. That includes things like person to person payments and business to business and you know, moving money around in other ways than traditional card payments. So it really just kind of expands them their reach into that area of the opportunity that they see.
0: Gotcha. All right, Matt. Well, before we wrap it up this week, let's go ahead and offer our listeners one to watch. With earnings season kicking off, we have plenty from which to choose. And you know, typically with earnings season, we like to open it up. I mean, we're not going to be just financial specific. We have so many companies out there. You can go any direction you want. But what's a company you uh, you'll be be watching this coming week here?
1: Well, I'll go financial specific. I'm gonna uh, (laughs) uh, uh, Goldman Sachs reports tomorrow. just last week they announced a new partnership with GM as their new credit card partner. Um, you know Goldman launched the Apple card not that long ago and they called that the most successful credit card launch ever. Um, well the Apple card has about three billion dollars in consumer balances. GM credit card users spend 8.5 billion a year. So this kind of really grows their credit card business. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see any management comments about that. Um, I want to see what trading revenue did because volatility calmed down quite a bit. I'm especially curious now that we've seen, you know, J.P. Morgan, City and Wells Fargo, because their trading revenue was kind of all over the map. Um, so I want to see what Goldman, which is really dependent on investment banking, did um, during the quarter. And I I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised, especially on the on the lending side of the business, on the the trading revenue side of the business. I think the IPO market really helped out their investment bank. Um, the IPO market was—I I can't remember a stronger time than in the latter part of 2020, other than maybe the, the tech, you know, the tech boom, where the IPO market was kind of going that crazy. So I'm curious to see how all that played into their earnings this quarter.
0: Well, I'll go the other direction. I'll <laughs> take a company that's not financials related. Although I'm going to be very curious to know uh, their perspective on on capital. Uh, but, but Netflix uh, reports earnings on Tuesday and I, I this is just always it's a, it's a fascinating company for me to follow. I don't own it personally. I just have always, found it fascinating to follow and learn from. Um, But they're calling for around 201 million global uh, streaming subscriptions um, at at the end of the year. And just obviously, we've seen a lot of competitive jockeying here with Disney+, Plus uh, just on fire uh, for understandable reasons. Um, I saw where Netflix was saying, I think they're calling for one new movie every week for 2021. Uh, which I hey listen I don't know that's interesting I don't watch a whole a whole lot of Netflix stuff but uh, more power to them if they can make that happen it is it is such a strong subscription business um, I think the real question mark for me two of them is just. How much farther they feel like they can go with pricing, and um, and also where they stand on capital today. Are they going to be looking to raise more money, um, either through the debt markets or perhaps issuing shares? I, I would think they would probably go through the debt markets first, but uh, just a lot of different ways to look at this business, and it's just always kind of fascinating. And uh, and I consider Reed Hastings uh, obviously one of the smartest guys out there. So uh, be looking forward to that uh, that report on Tuesday. But, Matt, I think that's going to do it for us this week. I appreciate you taking the time to jump on, as always, even during a day where the markets are closed and you could have been out there, I don't know, playing golf or hiking <laughs> through the woods or doing something, but but no, you, you took the time to jump on here with me and I appreciate it. Yeah, always a, always a good time. Sorry if anyone heard dogs barking during that. <laughs> I think that's, that's become par for the course for us, man. I think our listeners are used to it by now between me and you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel and Jason Moser, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.